On episode 1133, podcasting pioneer and internet legend Dave Weiner told Jason old Steve Jobs and Bill Gates stories from the golden age of tech. Let's see. I got there in the um, fall of 1979. And yeah, yeah my first uh, call was Apple. I mean, I had come there from, uh, I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, where I had gone to grad school. And uh, I had developed two products. One was a relational database and the other was an outliner, which is what I eventually made my career on, the first version of it, of my career. And um, and I wanted to hook up with somebody to publish it. You know, I didn't want to start a company. And so I, uh, I, I had some sales background. I had... Uh, God, I have to keep this very abbreviated because it's yeah. a long story. Um, but yeah, I did, um, meet with Steve Jobs and, uh, and, um, and he said, to pitch him on an outliner. And this is like the year before they went public. He didn't want the outliner. He wanted the database. And ah. uh, yeah, and he, sh and I told him, you should want the outliner. That's the product <laughs> for you. I mean, you've got the outliner machine here, and this fucking machine is never going to run a database. Come on, yeah. get real. <laughs> I mean, this is like Apple II days or Apple, Apple II, I days? right? The Apple II yeah. had just they just come out with the floppy drive. And you know how much data could fit on the floppy drive? Wow, is it three hundred sixty k? One hundred forty k. One hundred forty k. Yeah. Yeah, and that was per side, right? So if you clipped it and flipped it over, no, no, I think that was both sides. I don't know how they that did was it. both sides. I was never yeah. really no. I whatever. You never flipped the disc over. Nobody ever yeah. did that. Yeah. So, so, um, so he said, "Well, you know, basically, fuck off." And I said, "You got any recommendations on where I could go <laughs> from here?" And he said, "Well, you could go to this company. We just turned down their product, um, and it was VisiCalc. So, right." But that, that was, uh, I mean, I think they made a mistake in turning down the Outlander, but it, they definitely made a mistake in turning down VisiCalc. And, um, I guess they thought nobody would want to do that on the Apple II. And when I met with them, uh, they, uh, they were actually looking for an Outliner. And that was, I thought, wow, this, what a wonderful world. You know, you develop a weird product completely out of left field. And then you go to Silicon Valley and they want it and, you know, whatever. And uh, so that was my one. I mean, you have to understand, even at that time, Steve Jobs was a icon and famous. And, you know, it, it was off-putting. And I got into an argument with him, but it, it still was off-putting. And uh, so then a couple of years later, I had, well, more than a couple of years later, uh, you'd meet Bill Gates was quite accessible. You know, he would go to conferences and you could, you know, talk with him. Yeah, no, he would sit at lunch. I mean, I remember in the PC forum days, he was just there hanging out. He'd have lunch. He'd sit and say, Hey guys, what's up? Yeah. And, um, and he gave a talk at a uh, Roger Von Eck had a conference at Ricky's Hyatt house, which has been torn down since then. And he talked about, uh, they have a very visionary speech about uh, creating modules of software and tying them together with scripting language. It's just what Frontier was. It's what I ended up developing um, much later. But um, and so I was really impressed. And then um, 
I started making trips to Microsoft. I mean, that was a pretty, and they were very, I actually really liked Microsoft. I have to say that, you know, I mean, they were, I don't know. I always actually like they were red meat eaters, you know, and screw around. And when they were small, they were, they weren't, I didn't feel that they were dangerous. And, uh, and I always loved working with them and they actually tried to buy my company. They were the first user land. No, living video text. And, uh, oh, living video text, yeah. that was in, I'm going to say 87. And, uh, and we had a letter of intent and, uh, it had the deal gone through, we would have been their first acquisition. And, uh, wow. Yeah. It went, the value of the deal went from 10 million to 20 million while we were in due diligence. And cause they had just gone public and, uh, the stock was going up multiples, but we didn't have the product that they wanted. And we, and they, they figured it out. What they wanted was PowerPoint and, we had ah. a, we were, we pioneered presentation software on the Mac, but PowerPoint came along and was, uh, I forgot that they bought PowerPoint for, yeah, they bought it for $14 million. And uh, so PowerPoint was going to go to Symantec and we were going to uh, go to Microsoft and, and then Microsoft, uh, I got a call from Frank Gaudet, who is, I think a Queens guy. And he was an older guy, really nice. And he had, you know, his theme was, we're going to love you into this company, Dave. You're just going to love it here. And I was actually <laughs> really excited. I'd get turned on at some of these meetings. I really, you know, it's like, whatever. And he said, Bill's going to call you in a few minutes and you're not going to like it. And that's what happened. So I ah, ended up brutal. selling to Symantec and I ended up getting, I was the largest shareholder in Symantec after that deal. And then a few couple of years later, we went public. And yeah, I would see Bill Gates every time I'd go up to Microsoft, I would go in and hang out with him in his office and we'd shoot the shit. On episode 1134, Chow Now founder and CEO Chris Webb explained how bad actors in the food delivery wars hurt local restaurants by leveraging their brands without permission. And I think the poster child there is Grubhub. Uh, I think Grubhub does the, the and, and they've been called out in recent years. It, it took a while to get attention to, to some of their business practices. Uh, some of it now is in various kind of cities and states is, is becoming illegal. Uh, so this practice of non-partner restaurants, where you take any restaurant that you choose, you grab their menu online, you throw it on, you take their IP, and all of a sudden they're listed. And so before COVID hit, right before COVID hit, Grubhub actually had more non-partner restaurants on Grubhub.com and on their app than they had actually partner restaurants, right? So, so they had, I think that they were claiming 300,000 restaurants on their platform. The majority of those restaurants didn't know they were on and didn't want to be on. And at, at some point in their life, it's, and everyone knows Grubhub at this point, they've been around for 15 or 20 years. Those restaurants had chosen not to want to be on Grubhub, pay their fees and everything else. And Grubhub says, you know, frankly, we don't care. We're going to take your information. We're going to list you. We're going to take your menu. We're going to mark it up. We're going to add all these fees. And we, and, and, and they've actually said on earnings call, we know this isn't good for the consumer and we know this isn't good for the restaurant. But this is good for us, and this is a game that we're playing with these other players out there, and we need to compete with with the others out there. Uh, and and so, so we're going to follow that path. To to really make this clear to people who are listening who might not understand the inside baseball of this, Grubhub, uh, instead of going through the process of getting permission from a local, uh, let's just use a pizzeria, uh, instead of going to Gino's or Bay Ridge Pizza yeah, yeah. In, in my hometown of uh, Brooklyn, <laughs> instead of going to Bay Ridge P Pizza and saying, hey, would you like to be on our platform? We'll sign some documents and having that onboarding cost, 
They just walk in, they take the menu or they find the menu on the person's website. They put it onto their website. You call it IP, intellectual property. And then they say, we're going to market that to customers. And what they do is on the slide, I'm assuming on a technical basis, they call in and pretend Correct. they are a customer. Correct. Uh, so sometimes what we've witnessed is them actually placing orders through our platform as well. So they'll take the order off their, their website from the customer and they either call it in as you just described or they'll just place it through ours. Um, and, and sometimes they've, they've tried to scrape various systems to, to submit it. Um, Grubhub's not alone in this. There's, there's a few other uh, what we consider bad actors that, that do DoorDash this. DoorDash did this as well, right? This was an early DoorDash te technique would be to just put all the restaurants online. You call it's them. Exactly and Postmates did this as well. Postmates was originally as conceived a personal assistant who would do anything for you. And one of those things could be as a personal assistant, go run and get your food, correct? Absolutely. And, and so those two companies really kind of invented this practice. Uh, they scaled very quickly because of it, I, I think in kind of uh, tech terms, you know, kind of get growth hack type maneuver. Uh, and, and Grubhub never did that. And, and ironically, DoorDash and others have been moving away from this practice. And Grubhub is now playing catch up because that's kind of what they do. They're, they tend to be beyond the ball. On episode 1135, Density co-founder and CEO Andrew Farah demoed their newest product, the Open Area Sensor, which helps companies track spatial activity to follow COVID guidelines and increase efficiency. So we, we introduced this, uh, this Open Area Sensor that's aerially deployed. Um, it's a radar-based system. Um, and I thought that it'd be kind of cool to actually just show you a live demo where we can show actual utilization of space in real time um, without having to be able to do just entry count, but uh, actual actual open area measurement and so what we're seeing looks like the nest smoke detector like the nest aware it's just a little square box beautifully designed looks like an That's apple right. product stuck That's on the ceiling right. it's stuck on the ceiling yeah and uh and it, it gets it, once it's mounted on the ceiling you can start to understand sort of um open space so let me actually jump into a i'll show you what it sees so a, a lot of times um uh people talk about like the output but i think um if you're ever deploying any type of system uh, it's like critically important that you actually ask what what does this thing see because mm. most systems are cameras. So I want to show you um, what uh, what this actually looks like. Uh, John, this is John up here. Yep. Um, this is a this person sitting at a on a stool at That's a right. you know high top desk with his laptop open in an office space. That's right, and you can see beneath the the ground truth camera this uh, sort of dark three dimensional uh, view of of dots. It looks um, like Tron, basically. It looks like a grid from uh, Tron or when you were fighting on the Millennium Falcon shooting TIE fighters, it looks yes. like the grid in which you would try to align the TIE fighter into 3D space. So, yes. And much, and much, and much like uh, the, 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 much like Tron, you, this is all interactive. Right. So, so I'm, I'm actually clicking and uh, moving around. In 3D space and we see right. a person has walked up uh, to the other person, and they are each represented by dots uh, that are flicking in and out of space. And it That's knows right. those are humans as opposed to plants or monitors of computers. How? So um, the cool thing with radar is that it's not only um, three, it's not only anonymous, mm. and it's not only extremely accurate because of uh, the, the, the sheer number of measurements that you get. You can actually see there are a lot of measurements of uh, what, what are actually movement. So mm. as John moves through this scene, 
you're able to picture, we're able to pick up on like very small movement. Mm-hmm. And that very small movement actually creates the outline of his body. You see, you see wow. this sort of seated motion. Yes. Or perspective. And then this separate color, there's two colors of dots um, indicate that there are multiple people inside the scene. Mm-hmm. This has, it's just never been possible before. And it's never been possible because a lot of this technology was, uh, it just wasn't available at this type of scale. Usually you see this in self-driving. So that's what the device sees. Let me show you what that means for an end customer. So here we have an overhead draft-like CAD drawing of the office space, which shows all the different offices, conference rooms, like you would see somebody unravel in a blueprint. That's right. This is a floor plan. It is floor a blueprint. Um, yeah. And uh, customers can upload a floor plan um, to understand. So as, as people return to offices and as people ch- start to think about how people are um, using buildings and what portions of buildings they actually need, it's really hard to figure out whether or not people are too close together, you know, if they're mm. seated too close together or whether or not the number of folks inside of a conference room is, is exceeding the capacity. And also just the overall flow and heat map of people as they move through. So we designed a real-time floor plan. And what you're looking at is, the, is a circle wow. with a bunch of gray grids. This gray grid is represented, representative of what the sensor is capable of measuring. The higher it's installed, the larger its field of view, which I'm going to show sure. you in just a second. Like the aperture of a camera. It's, if it's low, yes. it's got a narrow aperture. If it's high, it's got a wide aperture. That's which right. is how satellites work, right? The, the higher the satellite, the more it can cover, but the more time it takes in terms of distance from the Earth to the satellite. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So um, what's cool is all of this is editable, um, meaning you can uh-huh. essentially place a device onto your floor plan. And those blue dots, there are these little blue flickering dots that you'll see. Yeah. That's me. So I'm, I'm actually showing you live and wow. you can see me sort of moving. I've installed the device above uh my my head and what's really cool is i can create digital spaces got it so you can pick little zones that if somebody were to go into this zone uh you would know and it could trigger something so if somebody goes into this area yes this area is a sofa this area is a cubby you know if you have these open floor plans sometimes you got like a little beanbag area or yep. a video game area whatever yeah. So you might want to know that two people are on those beanbags specifically. That's right. And so like, yeah. if I move uh, backwards, I'm mm. sitting on a couch right now, Yep. Uh, kind of tethered to my laptop. But you can actually see that we fill up that particular digital asset. Amazing. And if I decide to move to a uh, the chair, um, it should light up. I can't really see my screen. Yeah, it, it is. I, we, we basically watch the dots walk over <laughs> and sit in the chair. Yeah. 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 No, this is, now, this may be, this may seem silly or straightforward, but the reality is this has just never been possible before. And the cool thing is that if we zoom out, you can actually see, um, you see the zebra and donkey here. These are yep. just procedurally generated. That's the amount of time that each of these spaces were used. So uh, if, I go, if I go back to the couch, you'll actually see the zebra count went up a couple of seconds. That's, That's madness. Right. So literally, the, you now have gotten to the point where you've built a tool where anybody, the receptionist, the, somebody who works in facilities can map the space themselves and then report back how many seconds this phone booth was used. That's exactly right. The best of This Week in Startups is brought to you by... 
Klaviyo is the e-commerce marketing platform that helps brands build relationships with memorable email and SMS messages. Today, more than 50,000 brands like Living Proof, Hint, and Chubbies choose Klaviyo to help them grow. Learn more and get started with a free trial at klaviyo.com slash twist. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash twist. Send Pro Online from Pitney Bowes. Save time and money no matter what you ship or mail. Try it free for 30 days and get a free 10-pound scale when you visit pb.com slash twist. Fiverr. Find the perfect freelance services for your business. Go to fiverr.com and use code TWIST to receive 10% off your first order. Silicon Valley Bank. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped thousands of tech and life science companies plan for the future. Learn more at svb.com slash next. Silicon Valley Bank. Built for what's next. Pipe. SaaS companies. This is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your recurring revenue as upfront capital. No debt, no loans, no dilution. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com slash twist. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Masterclass. Learn from the world's best minds, anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Get 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash startups. And LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash twist.